Welcome back, Richard. It's great to see you this morning. Good morning. Good morning. Barreling into spring. Well, yes. it's spring here. Um, we, we are. Relatives, relatives from up north, and it's still winter. Still very much winter north of um, Gainesville, Florida. <laughs> north of wherever we are, because, <laughs> you know, yeah. you wake up in the morning, it's in the 40s, but by the afternoon, it's in the 80s. It doesn't make sense. It's Yeah, go ahead and plan your wardrobe for that day. Right. Uh, today, we're going to talk about we're going to talk about an interesting topic. It's a it's a topic that we both have. Um, we both work with a lot of patients who are who are dealing with these kinds of issues, and um, and it is certainly a an important um, mm-hmm. important issue to talk about. Uh, but you happen to find a an article where a wow. writer was talking about this issue of um, dissatisfaction or unhappiness or struggles at one period in life. Uh, but as he got, got older, um, things got a little bit easier. And he talked about why in this article. Right. Um, I was fascinated when I, when I, this is one of those things where you stumble into, it's in your mailbox somewhere and you kind of stumble upon it. Um, and, but we see a lot of patients. It made me think about a lot of the patients we see in their twenties and thirties who come in and they're just sort of this dissatisfaction. They're struggling they're struggling with what career and do I want to have a family and when do I want to have children? And, and there's sort of this vague discontent that they have this feeling of, of, uh, I'm not quite happy. I don't feel happy. And we're not talking about Facebook happiness. We're talking about, I just don't feel fulfilled. I don't like what I'm doing. I'm dissatisfied. And they come in and they, they ask us if maybe I have autism or maybe I have, maybe I'm depressed. They're looking for an explanation for their unhappiness. And, and they struggle. You can see them struggling with all these, these sort of life decisions. And then we stumbled on this article. And the title of the article is, I was miserable in my 30s, then I turned 50, and I've never been happier. And as we dove into that, I said, well, that's kind of an interesting idea, because that's what we're seeing these people in their 30s. They're sort of vaguely unhappy. What happens at 50? And this is from a book, when we looked into it a little deeper, it's from a book that the same man wrote called uh, Learning to Love Midlife. You know, we all sort of dread midlife, this guy, that maybe we should love midlife. And so the question that it raises is, what is it about getting older and becoming happier? You know, why, why would you be happier when you're older than when you're younger? Absolutely. And, you know, and we've talked about some of this in in the past several months. We, we've talked about, you know, the, the difficulties with um, overdiagnosis of things. We've right. talked about, you know, how so many people come in and think that they have this diagnosis or that diagnosis. And and so this sort of runs in that same thread of, mm-hmm. of concerns or, or topic, because you're absolutely right, Richard. It is it is astounding how many people come in convinced that they have some sort of the spontaneous development of a mental illness or developmental condition like autism um, while they're in their, you know, mid to late twenties, early thirties. And it's, it's rooted in this dissatisfaction, as you said, or this unhappiness with where they are in life. And so I think it's, I think it's an amazing um, topic because it is so salient to so many people. Um, right. And so in this in this book, in this in, in all he talks about two midlives. And, and as you said, there's 
the midlife crisis that we think about, and that's usually in the, your late 30s, early 40s, um, where you go through this midlife crisis of, you know, especially men, they say, mm-hmm. this midlife mm-hmm. crisis where they make spontaneous and, and impulsive decisions about things. They go out and buy a sports car and they do all these kind of things. And, and as you said, we tend to um, ha- have some dread or we we have some hesitation or concern about, about this. But he talked about a second midlife that happens after 50. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and that's what's fascinating in this because we all know about the midlife crisis. You know, that's when men, especially men, but women go through menopause, men go through this crisis. So we know there's something that happens in those years. But then he talks about, I felt truly splendid when I hit 50. We said, well, well, what what is that about? And I was especially struck by this dark, uh, things were very dark when I was in my 30s. And that struck a chord because that's what, I see a lot of our patients struggling when they're in their 30s with all these sort of existential questions. You know, why am I not happy? Is there something wrong with me? He said, so immediately when you you start reading the article, he doesn't keep you waiting. He said, the reason I feel splendid is because my emotional intelligence increased. Now, we've all heard about an emotional intelligence. You know, it's it's how you manage your manage your own emotions and dealing with the emotions of others. And he attributes it to an increase in emotional intelligence. And what is that? Well, it's most of all the capacity to understand and control our own emotions. Now, I'm three or four years older than you are. And I can, I mean, at least in my case, my emotions are much less intense than they were when I was in my 30s or 40s. I mean, there, there's an energy that you have then that drives your emotions that you just don't feel. And this is at least I'm I'm at least in my case, that's true. I'm it's much, it's much easier for me to control them. But it's also being sensitive to the feelings of others. Right. You, know, you become more sensitive to that. And relationships become far more important to you. Mm-hmm. Uh, and all these things sort of sort of happen as you get older. You leave this assertive, aggressive, I have to get mine attitude in your 20s and 30s. And it gets replaced by this um, less intense emotional reactivity as you get older. And it also helps you man helps you understand the feelings of others you become much more sensitive to the feelings of others you you become less important others become more important and i guess that's a that's another word for empathy you know you can you can understand and feel the emotions of others so he said that it was this increase in emotional intelligence that led to his what he calls a truly spend, splendid time in his 50s well and and richard i don't know if you i don't know if you know this but um you know, while that why this is so important and I think interesting to me is, um, you know, I, I just turned fifty last month. Yeah, and I said you're just you're you're only a couple years younger than I am now. Just a few years younger, and and so I'm catching up. But um, so you know, hopefully this means that you know over this next these next few years, you know, I'll um, 
I'll hopefully have this boost in my happiness and my emotional intelligence. And um, I'm looking forward to to experiencing some of this. Well, even at your age, do you do you feel that? Um, well, I knew you when you were I knew you were in, when when you were in those earlier that that first midlife. You know, when you were in your 20s and 30s. Do you feel differently now at 50? In terms of emotional intelligence, I think what it is is it's. Um, and, and I was thinking about this since I've been looking at all the information from this article. I, I think what happens is things start to slow down a little bit. Not necessarily that that you slow down, um, but, but I guess there's some aspect of that. But it's things aren't as dire. Things aren't as um, exactly. critical. Mm-hmm. It's not. You know, when you're in your 20s and 30s, I think that everything is its like almost like everything is life or death. Um, I have to get this promotion. I have to do this. I have to do this. You know, there's we, we sort of see things as having this timeline that we have to meet these uh, deadlines. And as you get as we get a little bit older, I think that that eases off and, you know, we, we start to settle into things. We start to um, just find this rhythm that is at a better pace for for main, for maintaining you know over time you know you're that's well put because when these patients come in and you say to them well you just they say well i don't know what i want to do i'm not sure what to do i don't know whether to go back to school or to, i don't know what to do i don't know what decision to make and i said it doesn't matter right you make a decision and they said but what if it's the wrong one it doesn't matter you, right. The most important thing, if it's the wrong decision, then you make a different decision. You'll discover that. Or, oh, my child got a D on this, on this, uh, got a D in math. Mm-hmm. What, what do I do? You know, and I got to get a tutor and I got to do a, no, it's okay. It, everything will be okay. You're much less reactive right. because you're right. It's not, everything does feel like life and death when you're in your 20s and 30s, that you have to get everything right. And then when you get to 50s, they, oh, no. It's okay. I've messed up enough times now to know that it's going to be all right. That's what I did. I said, oh, well, I've failed enough times that I, I know how to handle this now. You know? Right, right. Yeah. yeah. So um, so in the in the article, he goes into why he thinks, what, and, and we're going to present a few reasons why some of this helps bring some more happiness, why that increase in emotional intelligence seems to work in, in, in making us a little bit happier. And, and the first thing is that we tend to feel more compassion for others. And you, you mentioned right. that a moment ago, as you were kind of going through what emotional intelligence is, um, we have this compassion for others where we kind of soften a little bit. Um, again, we tend to have had now more experiences to let us know that, you know, we're not the center of the world. You know, we our ego kind of you know, it goes down a little bit and, and we, we start to feel a little bit more deeply for the circumstances and situations for other people. That's right. Yeah. As he put it, I have less ego and more soul. Right. You know, and that's a, that's sort of a nice, succinct way to put it, you know, that, that you do, you sort of don't, you don't think of yourself as being quite being the center of the universe and need to get things done right away. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. The second thing is that we become less emotionally reactive and more emotionally fluent. And, and I, I like that idea of, you know, it, it's not 
we don't have to react to everything. We don't have at least not react to everything at the same level as we were talking about a moment ago, the same level that we would that we did in our younger years. Right. It's taken me it's taken me about twice as long to learn this lesson as it does for the normal American male. Um, but you don't. But but the reason is, you don't, as you said earlier, you don't sweat the small stuff. You know, mm-hmm. uh, it's it's a little bit easier to. You know, if you ever follow me into a store, don't ever get in the line that I get in, because I can assure you that someone's going to have credit card problems or finding they're going to look in their change purse for the for the exact change. I will be in that line that takes twice as long. That used to make me crazy. Mm-hmm. Now I sort of say, OK, this is how things work. You know, um, g- making a phone call to get some help with something and you you end up with an automated voice, you know, the, and you're not being helped and you can't talk to any you can't talk to a to a person that used to make me crazy. Now I think ah, that's 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 how life works. That's how it is. Like you said, I'm used to failure. I'm used to disappointment. <laughs> Right. And, and it's so it's so we experience it so often, I think, um, that, yeah, we become somewhat accustomed to it and we begin to expect it in some ways. And then when it doesn't happen, it's like, oh, well, that's great. Um, right. But but I think that the other part of it is that when we're younger, we we tend to, um, you know, that 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 phenomenon of you, you expect things to be bad. And so then you see all the bad. And so, you know, you're going to the store and you're like, man, I got to go in here real quick. But I know that as you, you know, using your example, I know that somebody's going to be in line and have a problem with their credit card. And yeah, the reality is you're probably, you're probably delayed by a couple of minutes, but as you're standing there, it feels like an eternity. Right. Mm -hmm. And and you see the, 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 the cashier's light blinking and you're like, man, somebody needs to come over here and help this person (laughs) because I got to get going. And then you decide, okay, that's it. I'm going to switch lines. And then you go over. And then of course uh, the same thing happens at the other line. Um, But, but we see it that way. And it, the reality is it doesn't typically happen that way, but, but we anticipate that. And, you know, um, it's then exaggerated and magnified. Um, So, you know, as we get as we get older and we become more emotionally fluent, we start to recognize um, ourselves, you know, our own habits, our own behaviors. And so that we can see what um, what we're doing to maybe contribute to some of this stuff. And so we become less emotionally reactive because we understand ourselves a little bit better. Right. You know, we're going to he presents five um, five reasons why emotional intelligence works. And and I want you to keep track of these, not you, but but listeners, keep track of these. Because the first is you have more compassion for others. The second one is you're less emotionally reactive. Mm -hmm. The third one is that we don't, we stop taking things so personally, man. That's a tough one. (laughs) That's a tough one. Because we, we've talked about some situations on the podcast over the last few, again, the last few months. And, and it is really difficult um, because it is hard not to take things personally. Right. When people make decisions and do things that affect our lives, mm-hmm. it's hard not to take it personally. Right. I, it, I see it all the time. I was talking to a guy the other day. And he was waiting for some shipment of uh, clothes or something for his job. And he was so he was so angry because he he made it, you know, this is happening to me. It it had nothing to do with him. 
it was a screw up at the distribution end, you know, that they were stuck somewhere in the system. But he felt he was getting angry, like somebody was doing something to him personally. Mm -hmm. it, had, it has nothing to do with you personally. Right. You know, the um, in a few days, I don't know if you know this, Richard, but in a few days, it's Valentine's Day. Um, what it Valentine's Day. I don't know. I think I'm. I think I missed. That. <laughs> I'll tell you about it later. I think that arrow. I think that arrow missed me this year. <laughs> but what? Um, you know. But I, I've talked to people who are who are completely frustrated because they, of course, waited until the last minute to to you know place an Amazon order or, or whatever, and you know the the things that they're waiting for are now delayed or they're not maybe not going to arrive before Valentine's Day and they're so angry with the system right like you know it's not that the system is working against you you know you maybe could have planned a little bit earlier you could have right. taken steps a little bit earlier but it's not the world working against you that's not what's happening here um it's not about you right and the the, the author of this the article talks about the, the book, The Four Agreements. Um, I don't think either of us have read that book. I, I've, I've read parts I don't of know the I don't know the book. It's um, Don uh, Ruiz called The Four Agreements. I, you said it's a, just a little. Yeah, it's, not, it's a little agreement. book. Um, yeah. And, and I've only, I, but I've read a, a part of it. But in, in the book, there's a quote that says, uh, there's a, a huge amount of freedom that comes when you, um, comes to you when you take nothing personally. Yeah, I I think that's really good advice. I mean, it really isn't about you, right? Yeah, yeah. you know, um, kids are acting up when you're um, when something goes wrong at work. You know, it's not about you. It's and I think I think that I think when we're younger, we tend maybe we tend to think that that it is about you know because we're so frantic to achieve and acquire and make it. Um, and we're all struggling to 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 make it. Um, and then and it does feel personal because you have this struggle, you know, you're trying to do all this stuff and the world seems to be plotting against you. You know, I, I can't get this done and my Internet's down and I forgot to do this and I lost my keys. And and, you know, like the world's not conspiring against you. Mm -hmm. uh, people aren't uh, conspiring against you. I had a friend one time uh, when when. Uh, Long ago, we had uh, checkout counters and somebody else would ring up your sales. You know, like you go to a grocery store and instead of doing it yourself, this, this do-it-yourself world that we're, we're, we're living in. Um, did you ever go to a gas... <laughs> I'm going to take a second here. Did you ever go to a gas station where an attendant came out and pumped the gas for you? I, I remember when I was a kid, there were some gas stations that still had full service and self-service <laughs> and, and my parents never went to the full service they always went to the self-service but at the full service yeah somebody would come out and pump your gas for you yeah a guy in a uniform with a hat on and everything you know like a military sort of an officer's cap would come out pump your gas clean your windshield and uh, you'd give them the money and drive away well now we do it ourselves you know even even the elderly even people with handicapping conditions have to do it themselves well now we're doing that in grocery stores years and years ago there used to be a a person behind a cash register and they would do your groceries. And I had a friend who, if the cashier made a mistake, she took it very personally, you know, mm -hmm. like it was against her. 
No, it's a it's a 16 year old high school student who's overwhelmed and made a mistake. It, it, she wasn't trying to cheat you out of it. She's not going to benefit right. by bringing up a dollar instead of a dime. She doesn't get anything for that. But she was convinced that they were trying to uh, take advantage of her financial. I said, no, this is not about you. She made a mistake. It's an honest mistake. Right. Um, so, so get over it. And then this, the other thing that the author talks about is the cancel culture. You know, that if you define yourself one way that we have to get, we have to move, move you aside and get you out of the way. Mm-hmm. It's not about you personally. Absolutely. <clears throat> now, number four in this list of five um, is that we have a better understanding of how to create our ideal habitats. And I, I, again, this is another one that I, I really like because man, you know, it, it is so much easier to function when we feel comfortable in our surroundings. Right. Right. And he, he calls it environmental mastery. Um, right. And so knowing where I can flourish, where I function best, um, we, we, as we get older and ha- as we have more experiences, we become more familiar with this. And so we mm-hmm. ensure that the area and space within which we live and function and work fits that ideal circumstance. Right. Now, do you know the concept of feng shui? Do you remember feng shui? You know, that you have. When I work with folks who are discontented and I said, well, are you living the life that you want to live? And they well, I don't know what I want. I don't know what I want. I said, well, let's start with the simple stuff. Does your bathroom look the way you, is that the, is that what you want your bathroom to look like? Does your front yard look like the front yard that you want? Or does your car, does the inside of your car look like So you can ask these very simple questions. And most people are blissfully unaware of the environments that they're living in. They're not living in the spaces that they really want. They'll they'll tell you that. No, I hate my house. I hate the way it is. Well, then address that. You know, then then take make make your spaces, make your spaces look the way you want them to look. Make your office function the way you want it to function. And how many times have you gone into somebody's office and they say, oh, pardon the mess. Um, And, you know, oh, yeah, my desk is really disorganized, but um, I got I got to get to that, you know, because they don't like it. They don't want it to be that way, but they leave it that way and then wonder why their mind feels so cluttered, why they're, uh, why they have difficulty organizing their thoughts and getting work done when their environmental space isn't, doesn't work for them. Um, Right. Yeah. I think, I think we, we underestimate the importance of environmental mastery. Um, If you have, if you have to work at home or from home, then set up that space the way, exactly the way you want it. Don't compromise, make that space conducive to the work that you have to do. And you can go through your entire house and do the same thing. Start with the simplest stuff. You know, the, is that the bedspread you really want? Right. You know, start with the easy stuff. Um, and what you don't want, get rid of. What right. what you don't really want, you, you have permission to get rid of it. But you have to make, you have to achieve environmental mastery. Yeah. Not in an obsessive way, but make your environment work for you. Absolutely. And the last number five, the last one on the list is um, just simply valuing relationships more. Yeah. And and we go through this, you know, sort of cyclically in our life. You know, relationships are critically important during adolescence. Right. 
late childhood, early adolescence, where, you know, the sole focus is building relationships, especially with those outside of the family. And we work really hard to, to strengthen those. Then what tends to happen is in our 20s and 30s, it's all about, um, you know, for, you know, just to put it simply, it's all about finding personal success. You know, we're trying to establish ourselves and we're trying to find the right job and occupation or, or career for ourselves. We're trying to have a family, we're, but, but it's, it turns sort of focused on ourselves and finding success and finding the life that we want. Well, here we are back in our, you know, as we get a little bit older, we get back to valuing those friendships and we look mm -hmm. at these relationships as being, as being so important. Right. Relationships do become more important. Family relationships. And you can you can feel it as you get older that you want to reconnect with and you want to bring those people into your life who are important to you. And you sort of sort of have this desire to have meaningful relationships. And and that takes that takes effort. It takes effort on your part. Um, you've heard of blue zones, mm -hmm. you know. Um, where people live into their hundreds, you know, Sicily areas of Italy and China and uh, Scandinavia, where people live um, into their, routinely live into their hundreds. And all that blue zone research suggests that relation, meaningful relationships increase lifespan. Right. Um, you have to have other people in your life. And um, so the, the, the last thing that he realizes with emotional intelligence is the value of relationships. Yeah. And, and he talks about, you know, two deathbed questions. Yeah, right. Did I love well? And was I well loved? And and that is, um, that, that's a really difficult and, and emotional thing to think about because you think about, you know, your, your family and you think about, you know, because we all go through those ups and downs in life where we mm -hmm. we're closer to others and we're maybe more distant from each other. And th those are such difficult and hard, hard times. Um, but, you know, we want to be able to be, you know, on, on our deathbed, as they say, um, to be able to look back and say, you know, I, I loved the best that I could and I, I was loved as well as I could be. And, um, you know, Part of that is our actions and what we're doing and, and doing the best that we can. And um, yeah, you really start to think about that as you get, as you get a little bit older. Yeah. And, you know, Eric Erickson talked about that in his eight stages of psychosocial development and you get to the last stage, the last, there's nothing happening, get to the last stage and you look back at your life mm -hmm. and, you know, do you have some, do you, do you feel integrated, you know, or, or do you, are you filled with despair because of what you're looking at? And um, that's, I think what, what happens in that, as you age and you look back at your life, are you happy with what you're looking at? You know, I had a grandfather who was very proud of what he had achieved, uh, came to this country when he was 16 and built a family and a life. And uh, he, uh, and I, he was a very happy old man. He wasn't angry and, a curmudgeon and and uh, he was he was pleased with the family that he had built and rightfully so um, he had done a great job for what from where he started and where he ended I would be very happy and proud too to to have accomplished as much um, yeah. so relationships so so we have these five things relationships where you habitat don't take it personally don't be emotionally reactive 
and compassion for others. And it struck me, and I think the message here is that why can't you, you don't have to wait until 50 or right. 60 or 70. I think, I'm not sure, but it seems to me that if you start living life this way in your 20s and 30s, mm -hmm. that you can achieve the same truly splendid feelings at 35 that he did at 50. Right. I don't I don't know, I, I, but it seems like if you're if you if you incorporate these five principles into your life at 30 that it would make for a much peaceful journey a, a much more peaceful journey. Yeah, I I, I agree. In in the, in the very least what it does is, you know, by by improving and increasing emotional intelligence, you know, in the very least it's going to improve your satisfaction with life. We, we know that emotional intelligence, you know, is connected to, um, it, it increases in happiness. It improves relationships. It, it makes, um, it, it improves our overall functioning. Um, mm -hmm. Obviously, of course, our, our emotional functioning, um, which will permeate into everything. I mean, you know, if, if you're handling your emotions better and you're handling relationships better and you're not taking things personally, which is going to allow you to see things more rationally and you're going to be able to not, not respond so emotionally at times, you're going to be more mindful and thoughtful. You know, it's going to help you as you're developing and, and, and um, building that career and building that, those intimate relationships and building a family. It's going to, it's going to help you do all of those things. And so while, while it may not end with the same level of happiness that this author talks about when he was in his 50s, it is certainly going to make those 20s and 30s better right. um, because you're going to it's going to help all of that flow a little bit easier. Right. Yeah. So even in your 30s, your 20s and 30s, if, if you're struggling with these issues, you know, take a look at some of the consider incorporating some of these principles, these EI, the emotional intelligence principles into your life. Yeah. Uh, it, 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 I don't think you, I don't, I don't think you have to wait to a certain age to um, begin to incorporate um, these, these, these things into your life. And I think, I think you'll find that you, you'll have a little less dissatisfaction um, if you do. Absolutely. Totally agree. So, all right. Well, that is it for today. I hope you all have a great Valentine's Day. Richard, happy Valentine's Day to you. Oh, um, thank you. And uh, we, we, we'll all keep working on increasing and improving our emotional intelligence. Right. Um, so yeah, yeah. Until next time, stay happy, stay healthy, and forget to be afraid.